0: Well, I'm, I'm very honored to be with you this evening, and uh, I think the other word would be shocked, <laughs> uh, shocked that you uh, came back after my son told you I was preaching. Uh, I find out that uh, the circumstances when you get older that um, you have this tendency that um, I guess it's the way it is with everybody, but uh, you are marvel at the fact that uh, you're just an instrument, and... Uh, God does all of His work through His Word, with His Spirit, and you just get to go along for the ride. And uh, I'm humbled by the privilege, but I also tremble more than I guess I ever did when I was pastoring over the responsibility of handling the Word of God. It's an awesome responsibility to get up before an audience and open the Scriptures. It better be right. It better be right. And this evening, I'll invite you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter one. And while you're turning, let me make a couple of points. One, uh, one point I'd make is where we are in Franklin, Indiana, uh, the New Life Baptist Church, where my wife and I do still attend. We're still looking, praying, and waiting for God to send us a pastor. And uh, I know you have a ton of uh, prayer requests that you're praying over, but I would uh, humbly ask you, if you would, to ask God to send us the right man for the New Life Baptist Church. And in doing that, let me tell you the kind of man we're looking for. And I always told our church this is what they need to pray for me about when I'd get up to preach some Sunday mornings. First of all, a man who's still enough that he can get a message from God and brave enough To go preach every word that he gave you. And then honest enough to go home before his family and live it. That's the kind of guy we want. That's the kind of guy we're looking for. And I pray for my son that that's true of him. And let me tell you a little little bit of a secret. And I think I learned the secret more after I retired than I did while I was pastoring, unfortunately. And that is you'll never appreciate your pastor the way you should until you appreciate the pastor's wife. And Erica here in Stephen's case and my wife Judy on the third row, um, I didn't realize how much pastors' wives carry a, a great burden for the work of the ministry. And every pastor will get a lot of glowing reports and commendations and affirmations and thank yous And sometimes the wife stands off in the shadows over there and nobody thought a word about it. That your pastor will not be what he ought to be if his wife is not what she needs to be to help him. So for every credit you give him, you remember to remind yourself the pastor's wife who encourages him to move forward. And he goes home to be with her every night. And it's important, it's seriously important that you pray for your pastor but also for your pastor's way. I hope you'll do that. This evening I speak to you on a subject that I think is, is uh, I guess, I guess it's an observational message. And once, once I left the ministry of pastoring, I, I sat back one day and began to uh, do something I had never done, and that is I read through commentaries uh, from start to finish just to refresh my mind about Bible truth. And one of the things that I bumped in right away, I realized there were things that I preached and I taught and I explained that somehow did not translate into practice. At our church, I used to say, we have too many people sitting in the bleachers and not enough people on the field as soldiers of the cross. I've just observed around here today in your bulletin and just through the halls and so forth, uh, you have many ministries and many opportunities don't miss them. Don't miss them. Don't waste your life with frivolous things. You're only here for a short while. The Bible even calls it a vapor. It appears for a little while, and then it vanisheth away. You don't have forever. And whatever your time is, you ought to use it wisely. Because this is the short time. Eternity is a long time. Ecclesiastic called it the long home we can refer to this as a short one this is a short home you have a long home somewhere else and what you do here will count there if it's done for the Lord so let me urge you take a look at all the opportunities and ministry responsibilities and just see where you fit in and from this day forward and especially as you enter into the 2019 year make up your mind you're going to fill up a gap. You're going to, as I told our people, I was praying one morning and I came up with a slogan that we have uh, since used and even being out of the pastorate, but men still use it. It's in the bulletin every week. I'd recommend it to you. Find your load and lift it. Just find your load and lift it. If you'll do that, the Faustoria Baptist Church will be better on every front every part of it will be a better ministry and the number two thing it's, it's like working at walmart you'd have the associates meetings if how many of you have ever gone to a walmart and have an associates meeting you know out in the middle and they're all pep rallying you done that that's a man alive it got me fired up and i'm not even an associate of walmart but let me say that to you when you come to sunday services it ought to be the associates rally it ought to fire you up to say, Boy, what an opportunity we've got. What a ministry we have. And you do have a great ministry here. Don't blow it. Don't blow it. And don't take it for granted. I said to the Sunday school class this morning with my son teaching in Moses, great benefits and blessings. I came to the worship service and Brother Nathan opened the scriptures to us. God ministered to my heart. Don't take it for granted every church does not have faithful pastors and faithful teachers and faithful missionary candidates don't take that for granted and may god help us to be a better believing believers than the last generation i want my son to be a better preacher than i am and he's already that i want him to be better than that though i want him to be the best i want him to be god's man and I want him to have God's touch on his life and his ministry and on his family's life. I want the same thing for you. I want you to be the best Christian that anybody in your family knows. And oh, by the way, when anybody meets you and they get to know you, they ought to get to know Christ for the first time or get to know Christ better because they know you. That's how predominant he ought to be in your life and in your home. And if they come to your home on Sunday, just simply say excuse me but we go to church and if you want to go along we're glad to have you but if you want to sit here just sit here but my family and i go to church on sunday your dog ought to even know that you go to church on sunday <laughs> i mean everything about it ought to be that gee, they all just they just know that and then, by the way the church can't function without your help and that is in your giving let me encourage you when i was pastor I'd say it what W.A. Chriswell used to say. We start with a nursery and you would say, well how do you help a baby's give? You pin it to their diapers. And the nursery workers will unpin it and put it in the offering. I mean our children ought to learn to give to the Lord. We ought to learn and our children ought to learn that nothing you have is yours. Everything you have He gave you one way or the other. And it really ought to be invested in eternal things not temporal stuff you know when tornadoes come through places and just rip and tear and destroy everything one of the most blessed statements that i ever hear is some christian saying yes we lost it all but it was just stuff we're safe and god will provide our needs and he will and he does and he proves himself faithfully all the time and let me say that's just the introduction And let me say, I can't see your clock, so I have no clue what time it is. (laughs) Love, you know about how long I need to preach, so just raise your hand or wave it, and I'll quit. Here's what I want you to see this evening, and I want you to get a hold of this. I think it's important. It's one of those observations I made after I left the pastorate, and that is this. I ask you a simple question. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? My wife and I get to see a program that... It's one of the few programs on television that we watch. We watch very little because uh, television really gives its own philosophy, and you have to be very careful about what your eyes see. And so in our home, we're very particular and a word that the world doesn't like for us to use, but we're very discriminating. We discriminate against things that are not biblical. And so we watch this program, and it simply is, who do you think you are? And ha- what happens is they search and research ancestral background. I find that interesting, as does my wife. And so I got to thinking about that uh, one day, and uh, when I thought about it, it just hit me. I think that's one of the problems I saw in our church, the church I pastored for a long time. I believe Christians forget who they are. question I guess I should ask, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are, or who do you think you are? There is a, a thing in Titus that, in fact, the whole book of Titus really sets off on the premise of where Paul took Titus and sent him to a little island called Crete. It's only 146 miles long, but he sent him there because he had established and they had established churches there. And uh, the text of Titus tells that there, there was some uh, lacking or wanting is the word that's used in the text. And so Paul sends Titus down there that he can correct this problem. And what it was is simply some Christians there had not taken on the responsibility of fulfilling who they are. Who they are. So who you are, by God's plan, dictates what you ought to be doing. And I simply say that because that's what the text will tell us. In the text, it's the first four verses, chapter 1 of Titus, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching which is committed unto me according to the commandments of God our Savior. Verse 4, To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Amnesia is a word that is defined as partial or total loss of memory. The Greek word from which this English word comes means simply to not remember. It's something we all can relate to. And as we live in planet earth and in this world with its very false and deadly and dying philosophy, it can rub off on God's people and God's people begin to pick up the philosophy of the world. And they begin to think of themselves that way. Some years ago I read in, a, in, a, in an article, I copied it and wrote it down. It says this, uh, I once heard the story of a trip taken by Muhammad Ali to the Philippines in the height of his boxing career. Everybody was writing everything good about him, and they were boy, they were treating him almost like he was some god that fell from the uh, from the sun or something. And so he picked up on that, and he, he was a pretty arrogant fellow. And it says as he sat down on a seven forty seven airplane, the airplane soon began to taxi and prepare for takeoff. A flight attendant walked by and noticed that Ali did not have his seatbelt, and uh, she said simply, quote, "Please fasten your seatbelt, sir." He looked up at her proudly and he snapped back. Superman don't need no seatbelt, lady. Without hesitation, she stared at him and she said, Superman don't need no plane. Buckle up. (laughs) Now let me tell you something. What happened to Ali can happen to you. You can get a little arrogant living on planet Earth... And getting accustomed to how people think you ought to. I mean, the people go around and tell you, you can do whatever you think you can do. Forgive me, that's hogwash. And I'm a Tennessee boy, and I know what hogwash is. <laughs> that's hogwash. You can't do just whatever you think you can do. I can go out and say, I think I can jump over the Fostoria Baptist church. Now, I can think until I turn blue and die from a snow out there. And it won't change a thing. Everything that you think may have some impetus to motivate you, but it can't make you do it. But there's a God in heaven who can help you do everything that he wills you to do if you trust him and obey. So the difference is, and the concept is, is to number one, know who you are. And it begins by knowing who you are, by understanding who God is. To get to that point, let me tell you something about a lady in our church. Sometime back, we had a lady in our church. Her name was Nell. Nell was getting the early stages of Alzheimer's. And while uh, at the very beginning, Nell was a very uh, straight-up lady, and I mean by that she was a postmaster, and uh, she had no children, and uh, she frankly reminded me of some staff sergeant, you know, who tell you what to do, and you better do what Nell said. That's what she sort of came across. She loved my wife and I, and when she began to show the signs of Alzheimer's, one Sunday night before the evening service began, she motioned to me to come off the platform and come down to the front pew. When I got down there, she simply put her hand down on the pew, and she, she patted By the way, I just lost our pack. But the ideal is that when I patted the thing, she patted the thing. It was like a person had a dog, you know, saying, hop up here. Well, I sat down just like a dog would, and I kept my mouth shut. Nell was that kind of person. She leaned over to me, put her arm on my shoulder, and she said, I have the beginning of Alzheimer's, Pastor. And she said, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you they told me that I would forget a lot of things. And she said they told me that I would say some things to people that are not true and that it would hurt their feelings. I want to tell you something now because I don't know if I'll get to tell you Again, I love you and your wife. No matter what I say to you, don't believe otherwise. I may see some mean things. I may see some say some ugly things, but I just want you to know I love you and your wife. Don't you ever forget that." And she said, so when I do things that are not right and say things that are wrong, you just remember I love you. Well, let me tell you, she did do some things. She did say some things. Her father was a Bible preacher years back. I walked out of the pulpit on a Sunday night. She always sat on the third row with her husband, she got out of the seat at the service close and caught me by the time I got off the bottom step of our platform. And she said, I don't know who you are, but I like the other guy better. <laughs> I took it with a grain of salt and, and thanked her and said, I think he's coming back soon. You'll love him. But let me tell you something. It's not fun, nor is it good to forget who you are. But as believers, I'm afraid that here on planet earth with all the interaction and all the conflict between what the Bible teaches us to be and to say and to behave like, sometimes we forget that. And what happens is simply that in forgetting those things, we don't begin or we simply begin to fail you, a failure at acting like God's Special, peculiar people. This book of Titus technically is written to God's peculiar people. Look over on chapter 2. And down in chapter 2, in verse number 14, he said, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. That doesn't mean weird. As Stephen said in his class this morning, it means a, a special treasure people. May I say to you, that's what. God says about you and I, we're his special people. You think about it and think about where you were when he found you. And before you sought him, he sought you. And when he saved you, he knew exactly what he was saving you from. And he wanted you to be different. He even said, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you unto myself. May I say to you that God wanted you to be what he ordained and saved you to be, and that is to be his own special people. And that's what he's asking for you to be. It's important to note, in some cases, for example, like people forget physically many things. For an example, when you go to a mall or a large shopping center somewhere, And you go in and you come out and you just swear someone's stolen your car, your truck, or your SUV, your van. Because you could not for your life remember where it was you parked that crazy thing. I tell our people at the church, that's a ministry in and of itself. I have often gone to the mall where my family and I go sometimes to shop. And my wife will go in. We have walkie-talkies. So when my wife is ready to come out and purchase a thing or two, she simply pushes the call mode and I drive up to door like a taxicab pickup and pick up my wife and we drive away. Well there's some people park their vehicle, go inside, come out, forget which line it was they parked it. One lady said, I can't even remember the alphabet, had let alone what street or what the number was at top of that pole. I tell our people it's a ministry to go out there and just sit and watch those people try to wander around for fifteen minutes trying to find their vehicle and go up to them and say "Uh, I'm Pastor Henry and I know where your car is parked I'll help you find it and simply walk over to them and give them a track when you're done and yes I have done that. And they were grateful that somebody knew where they parked but they sure didn't know where they at. The fact is people forget. There's also this thing, heard and read a story even today about uh, parents who've gotten so busy in an activity at a church event that they somehow, some way forgot their child at church. I hate to tell you this, but in the New Life Baptist Church where I pastored for 32 years, we've had that to happen. On the back pew of the church, a baby would be lying down. Everybody was sure somebody would come back to get it. And we'd be ready to close the place up and nobody came for that baby. And then after a while, a family would come back and say, oh, we just got down a mile. and We remembered we forgot one. I mean, it happens. And it happens about important things. Children. But I want you to know something that for born again believer on planet earth and with the interaction that we all have and must have with the people of this world, it's relatively easy to forget who we are as God's special people. I want you to see a passage. Look if you would. would Hold your place in Titus and look over to Matthew chapter number 16. Every believer ought to remember this passage. It's an important passage. And one of those passages that has a kick to it. In Matthew chapter 16, in verse number 13, the Bible says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter had answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of of the living God Jesus answered and said unto him blessed art thou Simon Barjona for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee but my father which is in heaven let me tell you something is it's exceedingly important and this is one of the most important questions our Lord ever asked his disciples it's exceedingly important that you can answer the question that way And I'll tell you why, because if you have those two young men who are dressed very nicely, who come by your house, they're called Mormons. And if you would ask them, who is Jesus Christ? I would say and declare unto you, they have it wrong regarding who Jesus is. They teach that Jesus was a created spirit child by the father and mother in heaven, and is the elder brother of all men and spirit beings. In other words, they believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers. Jesus was created, his body, by the sexual union between Elohim and Mary. Jesus was married. His death on the cross does not provide full atonement for all men. So says the Mormon doctrine. The Mormons, I don't care how nice they are. I don't care how kind they are. I don't care how gracious they are. I don't care how American they are. They do not have it right about Jesus Christ. And if you rub, rub, rub shoulders with the Mormon, as has happened in our church, we had a couple in our church years back, an older couple. They had good friends. And over the years, they developed a very strong personal relationship with these friends. <clears throat> and these friends happened to be Mormon. So one Sunday morning, I got up and preached a message just like this one and stated the case of the Mormon people taken right out of the text of their own doctrines. This couple was very bothered. The man came by to see me. And ultimately walked away from the church. <clears throat> when I said to him, Why is it that you're leaving us? He said, I don't, I don't believe the, you have it right about these Mormons. They're my friends, they're kind people. They'd do anything in the world for you. I mean, they, if I were in a ditch, they'd stop and get me out. If I had a need of money, they'd give it to me. And I said to him, You're absolutely right. I'm I'm confident everything you say about them is true. But I'm equally as confident what I said about them is true. They do not know the Jesus Christ of the Bible. And therein, God's people have a tendency to forget who we are. Listen carefully. If you listen to the evening news and the ecumenicalist attitude of the evening news about all religions and all that, you're going to become intoxicated and dog drunk with the idea that we are just one of all of them. You can forget that Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no man cometh unto the father, but by me, no man, no man, no Mormon, no man cometh unto the father, but by me. Now, let me tell you what Adrian Rogers said. <coughs> I haven't I think he's a great preacher. He said, and I urge you to do this, unless your pastor disagrees. I urge you, as he urges you, to run the flag of your faith up the pole and expect everybody to salute it. That's the way you ought to be. We're not that way. God's people on earth have become rather cowardly, they're ashamed to tell some people about their faith. I say to you, run your faith of a flagpole and expect everybody around you to salute the thing. Be right about who Jesus Christ is and expect everybody else to agree with you. And if they don't agree with you, explain why you don't agree with them. Don't placate them. Don't act like, oh, it's all religions are fine and dandy. They're not fine and dandy. And these kind of religious concepts rub off on God's people and they forget who they are. They are God's special people. And I don't just say that because I'm a Baptist. I say it because the text says it. It's also true that if you let the Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door, they have it wrong. Jehovah's Witnesses... When you ask them about Jesus, they'll say that Jesus is not God. Before he lived on earth, he was Micah the archangel. On earth, he was a man who lived a perfect life. After dying on a stake, they say absolutely it was no cross. It was a stake. He was resurrected in a spirit. His body was destroyed. Jesus is not coming again. He's already returned in 1914 in a spirit. And the angels will destroy all non-Jehovah Witnesses. Hogwash. That's not Jesus Christ. And every Jehovah's Witness in Michigan and Indiana and Kentucky and Ohio is wrong about Jesus Christ and God's people need to act like it. We ought not to be friendly toward them in the sense of accepting them into our homes and acting like it's okay you just differ. We we just differ on a couple of minor matters. This is no minor matter. Who Jesus Christ is defines you as a born again believer, and if you compromise that, then you're best as well to compromise a whole list of things set forth in the Scripture as absolute. So my point is this: It's easy for God's people because we're in the society in which we're in that every religion's okay, oh, except Bible believing religion. You notice that? <clears throat> it's interesting that we're the only ones they pick on. As long as you don't mention Jesus Christ, you're fine in Indiana. But if you talk about Jesus Christ, there's obvious things. When it's a high school graduation, you won't be asked to do the speaking at the graduation. They'll even send you a little note. It'll say, look, we are an inclusive group of people. Please do not mention Jesus Christ. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that sweet? And, and you, can let a, you can let a a Catholic go in and they'll, they'll just accept him without anything because they may even allude to Mary and that's okay. Just don't mention Jesus Christ. And you can be about anything else you go. And <clears throat> you may or may not know it, but a few years ago in the Congress, they voted on Ramadan. You know, that's a Muslim's holy day. <coughs> Excuse me. And so what they did was the Congress voted on that thing and it was absolute unanimous for all those who were present. There were zero votes against. I mean, that is, there was nobody voting against it. They all for it, recognizing it as a holy day. Well, they decided they'd put up Christmas. So, some conservative congressmen put it up for a vote. Oh, it passed. But not without substantial opposition. And it was said in one of the decisions. Just take the word Christ off. Call it holidays. And we'll vote for your God. We'll vote for your rodents. We'll vote for your recommendation. We'll be behind you. But not with the word Christ at the front of the word. That's why when you go to Lowe's. It's happy holidays. We jumped on and a lot of people wrote Lowe's a letter and said, why did you change it where it was Merry Christmas a few years ago and you went to the ideal of happy holidays? They're because we want to be inclusive. We want everybody on board. Let me say this to you and I'm I'm not against Lowe's. Fact of the matter is it's the bottom line that they're looking at, it's called money. You thought Judas was a crook for selling him for 30 pieces of silver? A lot of businesses selling for a lot more than that, and I say to you that God's people—if you're not careful—you'll fall into that. You'll get to the point where you'll say "Happy Holidays" because you'll get to the point where you don't want to offend anybody, and you don't want anybody upset, you want everybody to feel included. Let me tell you, the Bible doesn't hold up such a strategy and such an idea that everybody is going to be happy with Jesus Christ. They're not. And that's why it's so important that God's special people act like it and don't forget who they are. And from this text of Scripture, look at verse 1 of chapter number 1 of Titus. In verse 1, it said, Paul, a servant (coughs) of God. So the first word in verse 1 tells you who's the sender of the letter. And down in verse 4, the second word of the fourth verse (coughs) tells you who's the receiver of the letter. But tucked away And what uh, Paul says in this introduction, the identifying factors of God's very own people, he tells you what they are. (coughs) Excuse me. Let me explain just one of them for a few moments. We won't have long. First off, it says in verse 1, Paul, a servant of God. By the way, there's an interesting parallel to that in verse number 7. Paul, a servant of God, in verse 7, when he's talking about a bishop, he says a bishop, which would be a pastor, must be blameless As a steward of God. The word servant in verse 1 is doulos, which is slave. When you come to the ideal of a steward, a Greek word for steward carries with it the ideal of someone who's been given a responsibility for which he will be held accountable. Paul was a slave, and that's by his own submission. And the ideal of that is... A steward is someone that God says, I'm going to turn this over to you, this responsibility over to you. And I want you to be accountable for it. So you'll have to answer when you get home. You and I both will answer for our stewardship when we get home. In this context, it is the bishop, the pastor, who will be answering for his stewardship. Whatever was given to him for God, for the service God wanted him to fulfill, He'll have to answer for that. That's what stewardship is. But as a servant, in verse 1, that's a doulos, that's a slave. That's someone who, who has no worth from the world's perspective. It's only valuable to his master. And a doulos has no rights, none whatsoever. And really what Paul says about himself being a servant here, we're all, as God's special people, supposed to have that attitude. Don't think so much about rights. It was Kennedy who said years ago, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Remember that? I remember that. And let me tell you something. What he was saying, there's so many people in America want to know, what can you do for me? God's people should not get caught up in that philosophy. It ought to be, what can I do for you? How can I be of help to you? And how can I help you along for spiritual purposes? What can I do for you? And if God's people do that, they'll be very much in reflection of who the Lord Jesus Christ was when he was on planet earth himself. In this passage of scripture, verse number one, note the first characteristic for Paul. Paul, a servant of God, apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. Verse one, we are a people of faith. And that seems and may seem to you like a big deal. And it is one. As a characteristic of believers. One characteristic you ought to reflect. Is you are a people of faith. You don't go around uh, having things to be proven to you. You simply go around. If God said it. You believe it. That should settle it. If you see it. If God said it. You believe it. That's settled. The truth, truth of the matter is. It's less than that. If God said it. That settled it. Whether you believe it or not is secondary to the fact that if God said it, it's a done deal. And the best thing for you to do is get on board with it and say, God said it. I believe it. That's what it's going to be. It's uh, interesting that <clears throat> God's very own people are people of faith. And that is they know, they really, really know they're justified before God by faith. They know that. Sitting in this auditorium at Foster or Baptist Church, you should know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are saved and justified by faith. Not because Benny Hinn touched your TV set, but because God said what he said in his word and you took him at his word and by faith you were justified by Jesus Christ and his finished work. Let me explain this this way. When you ask some people if they're going to heaven when they die, they quickly say, yes, I am. I know I'm going to heaven. When you ask a second question, what are you depending on to get you into heaven? They say, I do the very best I can and I hope for the very best. When you say, that's pretty vague. Could you elaborate a little bit so I might better understand your concept? Yes, they say you must keep the Ten Commandments. And live by the Sermon on the Mount. And you must daily follow the golden rule. And you say, could you tell me where I could find the Ten Commandments? In the scriptures. They look at you and say, no, I, I, I couldn't do that. They couldn't tell you that's in Exodus 20. They just said, no I, don't, I, no, I don't know where it is. And if you said, could you tell me what gospel has the Sermon on the Mount? In it, I said, "No, I I can't tell you that either." Then you say, "Well, could you at least tell me what is the golden rule?" Sheepishly, they confess they have no idea, no clue, no concept whatsoever. And yet, these people somehow, some way believe they're going to heaven when they die. And if the truth be known, they also believe that everybody is going to heaven. Eventually, no matter what they believe or no matter what they don't believe. And I can assure you, I can assure you from the scriptures, those folks and a million like them are not going to heaven. And that's sad because some of those million are your family and your friends and your neighbors Because somewhere along the way they've got this fuzzy phony idea that these things will get them to heaven. They are not people of faith. They are people of foolishness. Believing things that are not true and have no point of fact basis to get you from this place to heaven. God's people are people of faith. They know, they really know, they're justified by faith, and they will be going to heaven. They understand that heaven will be theirs because of what God has done through his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, knowing that he died for our sin. We're saved by his finished work, not by our feeble efforts. They know five things for sure. And listen carefully to them. Number one, the people who go into to heaven know, who know they were born sinners. I would say to you that it would be wise for you, if you're a born-again believer, to uh, get familiar with Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, in verses 9 through 19, and we'll not take the time to read all of it, but I'll just tell you that in this passage, there are 14 counts against every person who was ever born. Everybody in this room, including myself, every one of us, were under the indictments of these 14 indictments. You were, I was. If you came to faith in Jesus Christ, the fact of the matter is, he saved you out of this characteristic condition. All of these things that are classified. Verse number <clears throat> number 10, it says, As is written, there are none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There are none that seeketh after God. And so on and so forth. What it's saying is that this is the description of a lost person. So the first thing you should understand, and we should understand this well, is that in order for you to know who you are, you've got to really know Where you came from. And I find it to be true. It was true in our church. And I think it will be found true. To be at Fostory Baptist Church. The most grateful. Genuinely grateful people. In this room. Are the people who know. From what depths. They were saved from. When you know how wicked you were. And you know how pathetic. You were. And you know how ungodly. How wicked your heart was when God found you. You say, whoa whoa, 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 wait just a minute. I came out of a very religious home. I came out of a very, uh, we prayed over the mills and we were just, oh, we were just such a lovely family. I don't care what kind of lovely family you came from. The fact is your heart was as wicked and black as the depths of hell would allow. And my friend, unless you come to understand that, you may not understand what salvation is in the first place because this passage of scripture makes a very direct statement look at verse 19 if you have your text it says now we know that whatsoever the things law saith and saith unto them that are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God in other words there is no defense if that was your condition you have no defense So don't talk to me of how religious you were and how good your folks were. That has nothing to do with it. You were born a sinner, and this is the description of what you were. And until we grip that, until we embrace that, until we say to God, I know how bad I was. I know I realize that. Oh, people around me may not know how bad I was. I know how bad I was because I know myself. By the way, you do understand this, I hope. What we see is not who you are. Do we all understand it? Yeah, we understand. When I look at you, I don't see you. I see your body. That's why when you die, your body we put in a casket and we put you in a piece of real estate called a grave. But that's not you. That's where you lived. But that's not you. And the you, nobody else can see and know anything about you. You and your world are the most private thing going in, going on in society here. We cannot see what goes on in your heart of hearts. We can see your reactions, that is, you express yourself, but we can't see you. That's why the Bible says this. <clears throat> there was a time when you was not. There will never be a time when you will not be because you'll live You'll be living in heaven or you'll be existing in hell. But there'll be a time when you will exist somewhere. But there was a time you didn't exist. (coughs) Until you were conceived and born, you didn't exist. But when you came into existence, you will never go out of existence. What you do with Jesus Christ determines where you'll be. For all eternity. And what you understand about Romans chapter 3 will start the process of you understanding that. We're really born sinners. Whether anybody thought we were or not, that's not the point. My mother thought I was the best thing that ever happened. I believe she thought I was angelic. I mean I proved otherwise very rapidly. I set a field on fire that almost burnt my grandfather's barn down, but she changed her opinion in time. But you see, it's easy that for a baby we think all oh, they're just precious. The most dangerous people in this church are the babies. <clears throat> I was one and I know what I, I I know what I was capable of. I mean they lie like a dog. They cry when they're totally satisfied. They just want attention. And they and they just mess themselves up something, something awful, and they want you to clean up the mess. <laughs> awful people. But we love them. And sometimes we go too far, and we say, oh, they're, they're angelic. No, they're not. <laughs> so I say to you, be careful how you understand this concept of what you were. Number two, it's also important to know, we know their our best efforts are not good enough to get them, you and me, through God's security checkpoint. <coughs> Excuse me. That means when you die, there'll be only one thing that will be important to God about you. What did you do with my son? What did you do with my son? Oh, by the way, it's just like it is with Adam. He doesn't need you to answer that question. He already knows the answer before he ask, but he'd want you to understand that's the question. What did you do with my son? Here's the question for you. What have you done with Jesus Christ? Realizing you're you're a sinner according to Romans chapter 3. That's who God knows you to be. Who are you then in light of that? Are you a repentant sinner? Is there a place when you came to your life and you said, I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And I know everything about Romans 3 is true. And by the way, it's true whether you know it to be or not. It's true whether you know it to be, whether you've embraced it to be. It's true of you. It was true of me. But thank God for a point in time when the Holy Spirit convicted us of that truth. Brought us to himself. When that happened then, we trusted Christ as our Savior, then we knew of something. The one thing that's going to get me into heaven is the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not my work. <clears throat> Excuse me. Understand, please, that uh, God did not make a down payment on your sin And then turned to you and said, okay, my son made the down payment. Now you've got to keep up the installments to be saved. That's not what he did. The song says, and the Bible backs it up. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. You didn't do it. I didn't take care of it. Jesus Christ took care of all my sin debt. And it's important. It's imperative. It's absolutely necessary that you and I embrace that. And the truth is, that then gives me the basis to know who I am. I can know that I am a child of God. I can know that when I die, and die I will one day, barring the Lord's return for me, I'll go to heaven when I leave this world. I've held a lot of funerals. And the thing that in holding those funerals, <clears throat> I guess I, I've told people I'd rather hold a funeral any day of the week over doing a wedding. And uh, my, I never tell my wife that I'd do that with our, our home and our wedding. I love my wife and love her dearly more than I've ever loved her in my life. But holding weddings, I have ne- I, almost always there's something, there's a criticism about how we should do or shouldn't do. You know, you know somebody's always got an idea. I have never had anybody come to tell me they wanted it done differently at a, at a funeral. And certainly the person who is deceased never rises up and says, Hey, excuse me, I'd like for you to preach that second sermon, not this one. Preach another one. They don't do that, at funerals. So the thing about a funeral is this. The people who are living, it's just a dress rehearsal for them. Because one day they're going to go through this. And whether you know it or not, last funeral you attended... It's just a dress rehearsal for your own young or old or in between, we're leaving here. Some folks are gone. The rest of us are going and we'll be gone. How is it that when you leave, how is it that you're going to be? How is it going to be with you? Who are you going to be when you leave here? Are you going to be a stubborn person who just won't bow down to what the Bible says you were, as Romans chapter 3 says? Or are you going to leave here as a Christian who has repented of sin and believed on Christ as Savior? And as Titus's book talks about more than I've had time to speak about, is the good works that follow. <clears throat> Reflection of the Christ likeness. Paul told Titus that there are some people in, in Crete that are uh, people of slow bellies. A literal translation of the word is unemployed stomachs. What it means, they were lazy. Are you a lazy Christian? Are there slots that you could fill at the Faustoria Baptist Church as a member, and you just, you know, you got other things you need to do or want to do, and you're willing to give up eternal valued things for your own pleasure? There are a lot of things I'd like to say to you, but let me close with just this thing. I have this book before me, and sometimes when I bring books to services, <clears throat> I jokingly say I brought it alone just in case I got bored I could read while a preacher's preaching. That's not true. I never do that. But I brought this book because I got it for Christmas, and uh, it's written by a man by the name of F.W. Borham. It's called A Bunch of Everlastings. <clears throat> it's got a section about a lot of preachers. <coughs> excuse me old preachers, preachers who have been dead for many years. And as I read this one the other day, the Lord really spoke to my own heart about who I am and what I'm doing or not doing for the Lord. I want to leave it with you. If you'll permit me, let me read just a page or two. It's about David Livingston. And how did it all work out? Was his faith justified Was that word of honor strictly kept? The word was. Leave me not forsake me not. And he took the verse that said in Matthew 28 verse 20. Lo I am with you always even unto the end. In spite of. In spite of. All of his assurances. That he ever found himself in solitary or strange place. And was he ever forsaken? It looked like it when he stood bent with anguish beside that sad and lonely grave. Poor Mary Livingston, the daughter of Robert and Mary Moffat, was never strong enough to be the constant companion of a pioneer. For years, she struggled on through dusty deserts and trackless jungles, seeing no other woman than the wild women about her. But with her little children at her skirt, she could not struggle on for long and she gave up. She stayed at home to care for the children there and to pray for her husband as he pressed tirelessly onward. <clears throat> but the goes on to say, but even in Africa, people talked. The gossip went around that while the settlement was incapable of understanding or comprehending the motive, He couldn't understand why Mary Livingston did not travel with her husband into the jungle and the desolate places of Africa. And so rumors started that there was a conflict between Livingston and his wife, Mary. Livingston finally got a hold of it by one of the black servants that was working with him. And Livingston then sent one of the black servants back to his compound and asked for Mary to come and join him though she was sickly and very, very weak. He did it so that you could protect the integrity of the work and the ministry. She came and she tried again to keep up. But just a few days she died. And Livingston buried her beside a large, one of the baboid trees, 60 inches around and one of those trees that has roots going out all over the place. And he found a trench between them and Dug a shallow grave and he buried his wife. He knelt beside that grave when he had placed that body there and he asked himself if he was alone. Was God's word true? I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. The servants even questioned, Has God left you? Do you feel alone? And it was that Livingston got alone away from the grave. He bowed his head and cried and he wept and he said I feel alone but God said I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee so Livingston got up he went to his servants and explained to them what he had to do to move forward they packed the things up and they began to trek off into the jungle again for new territories by which they would reach the folks of Africa. As he did, he wearied himself to the point of where he could not walk. His feet were such lacerated and bruises and burns and infections got so bad, he could not set his feet down on the ground for excruciating pain. Rains began to fall, so the black servants quickly put together a covering of leaves of trees and played it for a shelter and put him on a cot inside of it, And put him down as it were to sleep or to rest until his feet healed so he could keep up the work of the ministry. Consequently, the man who was over the black servants assigned one servant to sit with him through the night. Two servants would wait and take turns to come and relieve him of his duties. They placed Livingston on the cot. Livingston slept for a while. Two of the servants were back in another place. The one black servant sat there, but he went to sleep. During the night he woke up. As he woke up, he got to a point where he was so embarrassed <clears throat> that Livingston had actually gotten out of the out of his seat, out of his mat, and he stood beside of it. That is that uh, this young servant walked over and he looked down at him and he was down beside the cot. And so the black servant ran to the master to tell him, the white master is up. He's down beside his cot. When the master of the slaves came and looked over Livingston's shoulder, they were ashamed, but they walked up and they put their hand on his shoulder and touched the back of his neck. And when they did, they realized he was dead. His body was cold. His person had left the body over a period of time prior. David Livingston died on his knees. When someone said, he always said that his Lord would never leave him, never forsake him. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. The writer said... That's evident because the last person he was talking to was his Lord. He never left him. Brother Nathan, when you get to the mission field, good news is God will be with you. No matter how difficult things get, no matter how hard they are, God is there. And for those of us who wake and work and serve in this capacity, in this community, let me say this to you. Who do you think you are? Do you know you're a child of God that's been forgiven of your sin and have a right to the presence of God in a place called heaven for which he's going to prepare a place for you? Do you understand that? Have you embraced that? If you have, then let me exhort you to fill your place here. Be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. Fill in the gaps so that the work of the ministry of the Faustoria Baptist Church can reach this community and share the gospel with everyone. And just when you thought you may have been just too tired and too whipped and, and just too drained of all your energies and strength, remember David Livingston. Buried his wife and continued to do the job. I don't know what it's cost you, but it has not cost you what it cost our Lord to die for you And to give you what you have to serve him with. He equips his people to do the work of the ministry. He has something for you and me to do. Let us get to it.